Welcome to the Electionary Call-In for Tuesday, June 20th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors, seminarians gather each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. Today we're gathering at 6.30 a.m. to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for this Sunday, which will be June 25th, and we're working faithful to be uh, faithful to Lectionary Year A. And here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's conversation. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And speaking of the week's leader... That would be Sarah Mickelson, who's put together some questions and some readings for us. She's going to start with scripture. It's good to see you, Sarah. Challenging week. I'm so glad you're in charge. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I agree. This is one of the more difficult passages. And um, just for points and references, we're talking about Matthew, the 10th chapter, verses 24 through 39. This is um, follows right in step with what we talked about and what we read last week. So this is the continuation of chapter 10. Um, So we've had Jesus talk about sending the apostles out, being empowered over unclean spirits to heal and to um, speak or um, pronounce the the good news. Um, And this passage picks up right there. One footnote to this passage is it's been used to, uh, let me say it, I think it makes everybody uncomfortable. Um, And I searched this week to find um, something that would help us move through that a little bit more cleanly and not get entangled into that uncomfortability and and get stuck in it. So I sought a couple of different translations, and I landed upon the message. Um, Perhaps this particular um, translation is new to you, or perhaps it's not something you've looked at before. Um, It might also be in the collection of things that, You're not really sure how to respond to it, but I found it to be helpful this week. So I'm going to read from the message this week um, instead of the New Revised Standard Version. Um, And our passage starts like this. A student doesn't get a better desk than her teacher. A laborer doesn't make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased even, when you, my students, my harvest hands, get the same treatment that I get. If they call me Master Dungface, what can the workers expect? Don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go, in, to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life body and soul, in his hands. What's the price of a pet canary? It's a loose change, right? God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by this bully talk. You are worth more than a million canaries. Stand up for me against the world, opinion, and I will stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn tail and run, do you think I will cover it for you? 
Don't think I've come to make life cozy. I've come to cut. Make a sharp knife cut between father and son, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father and mother over me, you don't deserve me. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. If you don't go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. And that ends our scripture reading. I don't know about you, but I just got really uncomfortable. Um, So my questions this week helped me to think about why I was uncomfortable and what I could do to settle into that discomfort in a good way and learn from it. So question number one, what obstacles to effective discipleship are presented by Jesus in this reading, and what might be the modern equivalents? Bill, what are your thoughts about this? First of all, thank you for reading this in the message. Uh, I said before the recording started that I believe some scholars debate is the message, a translation or a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson was very skilled in languages. This is solid scholarship. But I think, as you said, Sarah, it presents it in different images that's true to the original, but may make it a bit more accessible for us. Now, to your question, and when I first got your questions, I thought, that's interesting. She begins with obstacles. I think that that's in in the business world. If you're planning something, you often ask what what might impede this. What what are the obstacles? So I think you're wise to start there. And I want to quote a, a somewhat brief quote from Stanley Saunders, who's a biblical scholar at Columbia Theological Seminary. He writes. Jesus recognizes that fear will also cause the failure of discipleship. So the first obstacle, Sarah, is fear. Saunders continues, Jesus' disciples courageously leave the security of their homes and families to follow him as they proclaim the advent of God's reign. But they, too, will know and ultimately bow before the power of fear. That's true. We, how often the fear uh, diverted the disciples. Faithful proclamation and practice of the gospel inevitably puts disciples on a collision course with the powers of this world. So as Jesus prepares his disciples for their mission to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he is starkly realistic about the threats they will face. At the same time, he builds the case for why they should not let this fear master them or hinder their witness. Uh, End of quote. Um, I I like that balancing, that along with the uh, frank acknowledgement of what they will rightly fear, 
there's assurance given. Um, and this is progressive in the gospel. It, as Stanley Saunders said, they'd already left their professions. They'd already left family. They'd already made sacrifices and drastic changes. And Jesus says, you've only just begun. And I think um, Peterson in the message uh, very helpfully uh, highlights this in ways that, that are accessible. And Jesus kept trying to tell the disciples what was going to happen to him, to Jesus. And we know it was only after the resurrection that the truth of that began to sink in. Um, and in Matthew, the uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh chapter that pre- well precedes this, Jesus says, don't worry about food, clothing. <laughs> um, God will uh, raise up those resources for you. So again, I was helped by your beginning with the question, what are the obstacles? And goodness knows telling the truth today is not very popular in some circles. Being people of the truth, wanting to know what the actual truth is. So you were asking, what was your question? Modern equivalents. That's only one there. I'm sure many others. Thank you for the question. John, what obstacles do you see? I see modern equivalents everywhere. And thank I'll also thank you for reading the message. I know we're, we might get some phone calls a lot. What are you doing with it? It just really is a great translation for, for this particular purpose. And it doesn't, it doesn't uh, there's no gospel light in that reading of the message. It is unflinching as the uh, new revised standard version is as well. Uh, so we commend that one to you as well. If you want to read the new revised, that's what we usually would have done in years past. Um, I'm thinking back to uh, about two weeks ago, we were talking about the differences between the terms disciple and apostle. And in this case, looking at disciple, we were emphasizing discipleship is about learning, pursuing truth, opening your eyes, learning, learning, learning. And I, I think that's a part of this. What is the obstacle to learning and seeing? And we do it all for each other. I can play the role as a child, the, the role of a parent, the role of a grandparent, the role of a friend. I'm participating in a podcast. So I think it, we're challenged to look at this in a multidimensional role, not not just as a follower of the way, not just as a son, not just as a grandfather, but all those things rolled up into one. So I think the discipleship is in here, which is learning and seeing, and then how we learn. And there's, for me, the obstacle to be a disciple. Uh, you've got to be able to confront things. And sometimes, you know, it's sharp. It's, it's bright. It's hard. But isn't that part of what learning is? And, and I think back to the great teachers of my life and people in my family, they stand out as bright, shining things in my life because they were willing to take my hand, I think as a boy, and go, no, you can look here. You can, you need to talk about this. And I'm also thinking about the justice system, which, which in seeking justice sometimes demands a real conflict to sort through it. You know, we, in our system, we call it justiciable. You've got to have, you have a real conflict. We don't make it up. We don't go, what if something happened? We'll take it to court. We don't take hypotheticals to court. We take real conflict to sort through it. So I, I don't think this invites conflict, but I think it says 
take a deep breath when it's there. Uh, you know, I, I can hear many pastors talk about Christian discernment, that there's a discipline to this. And the obstacle to it is if we take this passage and cut it out, using a sharp, a, bl- a sharp instrument metaphor again, I get my scissors and I cut this out of Matthew and I post that on my wall. That ain't it either. You know, this is, this is a piece of the discipline of the following of the way uh, that we have to keep in mind, that it can be sharp and that we have to, when the conflict comes along, take a deep breath and realize that I'm, I may be the obstacle myself. You know, I can play every role in this, and I think we're invited to play every role. I can play the intransigent, confident person. I can play the child. I can play the person that's gone to the other side and go, try it. You'll like it. The, the world is different over here. Go check it out. I think we're invited to do all those things, but at the core is this fear of change. And that's why I think it's all modern, fear of change. I think fear of disloyalty, uh, political, faith, familial, friendship, what you name it. The fear of disloyalty and then the confidence in the existing systems that we have. Uh, it, the assumptive life that we all live. And I'm pointing at myself. I don't want to get preachy here. My assumptive life that I think every day I get up, I know how to tackle things. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, conflating the gospel with stability, conflating the gospel with economic stability, social stability, status stability, respect for whatever it is. There's this, the bright, shiny object is utility. And I think if you, if we cut the passage out, uh, it could get really tough because what's in there also is I just want everything to be okay today. And I bring a lot of assumptions into the utility of being fed and why being okay and everybody being healthy. And is that enough or is that something that creates an obstacle? And I don't think we're asked to go, no, it's not enough. And we have to cut all that away. It's this, it is sharp enough where we can consider those things in our lives every day. What am I doing? What assumptions are I making? If we don't confront that, and I'm just saying this as I've aged and looked at this passage over and over again, then the God, then my, my God is a God of affirmation of my lives, like affirmation of my fears. If I do it that way, then the God is affirming safe, you know, I'll distort the gospel, you know, whatever Whatever, oh, let's do, let's distort the letters. Whatever is safe, whatever is wealthy, whatever is healthy, whatever honors the past, whatever is powerful, there you will find your Lord. Like, that's not it. But in my heart every day I wake up and sometimes I think it is. That's what I got, Sarah. Oh, thank you. I completely agree with both of you. Um, Fear was the first thing I highlighted um, as a potential obstacle in the walk with a disciple, walk of a disciple, um, but what it really set me back on my heels to consider is what is my character? What is that litmus test I use to determine if this is true to who I understand God to be and true to who I understand myself to be, and 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 does it does it work from multiple angles or is it just um, something I can see and go, oh, yeah, yeah, the grass is green, yep. Um, so it really made me consider what I value about following Christ and what I find essential 
to my survival about following Christ. And so the obstacles that challenge that look like fear. Invite me to consider what it would feel like to be publicly rejected, to be shamed, to feel ridicule or isolation with no support systems, to be cast out of my family structure, my, my faith structure, uh, my peers, um, and, and living within the, the confines and the boundaries of discord and conflict. The opposite of that is also true. Seeking the easy path, going to the path of least resistance because that's all I have the energy for, or that's all I want to have energy for. I don't want to be perceived as foolish, and I think that this particular passage challenges that because it says if you're looking for something outside of yourself to affirm who you understand God to be and who you understand yourself to be in relationship to God, you're going to find yourself lacking. You're going to find yourself out of step. And then the last piece of the obstacle puzzle for me is loneliness. I think that if you spend your energy casting away those things that you find don't work, you might run the risk of being lonely. And that's a frightening thing. I don't I I may be my age now, but I that's for me is a scary thing. And I think God says, you got this. Don't worry about that. And I think that's important. So for me, those are the modern equivalences. Um, you know, I, I have been uh, trolled, if you will, um, in social media. I have felt the full weight of, of what I call a pack of wolves that jump on you and fling things at you. I've been surprised when there were people I thought were my friends. And that is a huge shift in understanding when you can say, you know, maybe I misread them. Maybe maybe I misunderstood that I thought you were this person and you're not. So I think that this particular passage says to us, God doesn't change. God's promises, God's keeping don't change. But the people around you, the situations around you, are can continue to change. And it's important that you understand where the solid ground is. And that's where you build, if you will, your house. Um, that's kind of what I thought about as I read through this. And here's my question number two. How might a follower of Christ consider, reconcile, abide with the fifth commandment to honor your mother and father and still listen to the instructions that God, that Jesus gives us in verses 34 through 39. Did it seem like those two things were in conflict with each other? I guess is my real question. Because this is hard to read, this bit right here. Um, Don, what are your thoughts? Uh, that they should be in conflict with each other, and that's part of the learning. Mm-hmm. Take them all. You know, I think uh, your first question we talked about modern applications. I think in this case, there's a, the modern application is a little tougher because I think the listener and of the early scriptures, the readers, um, might have been better equipped to look at the whole 
Um, and it is difficult to shock, but you know, this is a, this is a, more about the cold bucket of water that says life is filled with conflict. If you choose not to be a disciple or to engage in learning, that is dishonorable. Now, I, you know, I think every relationship, every familiar relationship, is distinct. I think we have things in common, but I think this is intended to be read together with the Old Testament. I think yeah, it echoes the Old Testament intentionally and, and the commandment itself. But I, I, think, I think it's a wake-up call. Uh, again, not to be cut out with scissors to put that piece on the wall, but it's a reminder that, well, I'll make it really like, dumb, simple, but, oh, really, your family has no conflict. Really? Well, good for you. Who are you? Where are you from? What kind of family do you have that has no conflict and no discussion, no no walls that have been built by anybody, no no intransigence, no temper tantrums? Are you kidding me? Well, this is this is the gospel of reality, and that the reality here is that families can get closed up and shut down, and families can open doors of discipleship, and fathers and mothers can open you up to the world, and fathers and mothers can create terror and say, "Don't go there." That's life, uh, and I think the honor is, is in it. Uh, I wouldn't have said that a few years ago. I was just as shocked as anybody else, but I, uh, I feel that. And uh, I want to, to add to that that my experience, especially in recent years, is this is used to hold up, I'll we'll put this in a constructive way, uh, this is used to hold up conflict and the sharpness of division as an affirmation of the blessings of God. And I'm just, just on a personal level shaking my head. I don't think that's what this is. But the, the, I don't think there's anything in here that says when you are separated, when you have to set things aside, set relationships aside, that's the pain you must bear in the name of Christ, but that is a cross you bear. I'm just deep, deeply distressed. I'm more distressed by that than having to deal with the fact that there's some conflict between the, the commandments and, and and Jesus saying that this is a very sharp thing. Uh, I don't see it. I don't, per, you guys could disagree, but I don't see an affirmation in me boldly going out and separating people from myself or my family uh, or, or breaking from my family or sending people away from my family. I don't see that in this at all. Um, I see the disagreements make sense. I see discipleship makes sense. Uh, I could, And I see the more I read this as ordinary, thanks again for reading the message, the ordinariness of the conflicts is just as tough as, you know, the reading of the new revised standard version. The you know, I don't I don't want the conflicts, but I think there's a call here for real discipleship and I think honoring honoring families and honoring parents is all a part of that. That's the best I can do with that, sir. I'm with you, Don. Um my question back to in in response to this question, I wrote another question. Is there a way to respect and care for parents and family, even when their teachings and opinions lead you away from God and away from the path of Christ? You know, we we grew up in a time and a place where, and and we're still challenging ourselves on what we've been taught about others, 
that they there are others that live down the street or others that live around the world. And the one thing that that I've landed on is the intent is the same. We all want our families safe. We all want our children to thrive. We all want enough, whatever that mysterious amount is. We want enough to 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 persist and to to live and encourage each other. And I I I ponder when people use fear as a way of wedging um, me away from others who look differently from me. And I was I was raised in South Mississippi, and I would say the difference between brown skin and white skin was something that was very apparent. It was more than the color of skin. It was how we lived. It was what we ate. It was who we worshipped, how we worshipped, when we worshipped. And and so as I've settled into my bones, I've come to the understanding there is no difference. We all want the same things. And we're all, we all bear gifts that we each need. And it's been a challenge to walk away from opinions that were held by the friends and family I grew up with. But I have had so many gifts as a direct result of that that I now no longer hold that opinion in the same value systems and in the same way as the gifts I've received. And the consequence of being open and aware has brought to my door more goodness than evil. And I would just fall back into the, there are going to be times when you have to separate yourself from what your family taught you and perhaps what your neighbors taught you and where you grew up. And as God reveals God's self to you, it will really put you at, 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 at what's the right word, um, put you into, um, I would say, conflict with your own upbringing. And present you with, as Paul would say, an awareness of who you were before and who you are now, and how incongruent those two characters are. Um, and and if you find yourself in that space, welcome, welcome to welcome to the new place. And that's kind of what how I reconcile that. My parents would would want me to grow in discernment, would want me to grow in care and concern for others, because that would be what they taught me first. What do you think, Bill? Uh, First of all, a couple of notes. Uh, Most of what's in this passage, including this part we're talking about, the troubling about conflict between parents and child is parallel in the gospel of Luke in chapters 12 and 14. I don't see any significant difference in Luke's uh, account of this. Also, and I think this is springboarding down a little over what I, part of what I heard you say, Jesus illustrates that this is both and. Jesus had conflict with his parents 12 years old in the temple, do you not know I must be about my father's business? A later account of his mother's concern and his brothers and sisters challenging him. And Jesus said, 
my mother and father are those who do my will. And yet on the cross, mother, behold your son, son, behold your mother, providing community and support for her. I, I think it's clearly both and. But even Jesus ultimately experienced what he says here. Um, and I, I do think the hate language is metaphorical and exaggerated, but that's not to deny the truth that it talks about. In counseling, uh, at least in the last few decades that I'm aware of, there's been an emphasis on differentiation. I am not my parents. I am not somebody else. And in a broader way, I am not the mistakes I made in the past. Sarah, you talking about becoming a new person. That That is, is possible. So uh, while Jesus didn't use the term differentiation, I think in a healthy way it means I am truly the unique human being that Scripture says I am, and yet I'm in community. It's, it's not about isolating myself into narcissism with the catastrophic consequences of that choice, but it is about being my own person. The other phrase I heard at some point in my parent life before my two children became the adults that they are now and the great gifts is this concept of roots and wings. The two best gifts we can give our children are roots and wings. <laughs> A mixed metaphor, right? <laughs> Grounded and they're set free. Easier said than done, but I think in healthy parenting. Now, in marriage, Genesis says of it specifically says a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. So this goes back to Genesis, Sarah, differentiating and uh, you're right, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. You can do that and also leave and cleave. I heard a powerful sermon once by a dynamic black minister on leaving and cleaving. <laughs> And how both are important. Um, and Eugene Peterson in the message, I like this phrase, well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. doesn't say they have to be. They can be. And in my journey, college and waking up to the evils of segregation and coming back home, to an environment that largely believed in separate but equal and didn't want to hear how unequal it was. There was a lot of tension uh, and anger, uh, which eventually many people came to embrace segregation. But um, I, I think this phrase that about well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies is an example of what I said about your use of the message. I think it gets at the truth and yet says it in a way that we may be better able to receive today. Thank you, Bill. Okay. So I think that there's room for improvement on all fronts, maybe because (laughs) Um, third question is I'm thinking about what Jesus teaches in this passage and what the Lord requires. 
And of course, my mind leaps immediately to Micah 6, 8, because it goes, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Um, and I'm paraphrasing Micah 6, 8. Um, Jesus suggests that an active commitment to this and to following him will present discord. When it comes to management of conflict, who has served as a living example to you? Um, I will say my father, in my case. Uh, uh, we were a, a group of, of what I call um, strong-willed individuals that were knit together by a single last name. And we each had our own, um, I would say, opinions about the way things should run and the way things did run. And we wanted often to bring that to the foot of my father when he arrived home from work to have him adjudicate which opinion was the right opinion. And the poor man used to say, I need to have 30 minutes of quiet <laughs> when I get home from work. He did not want to hold court and adjudicate between the three of, of the siblings and sometimes even my mom uh, which which case had merit, and um, and and we were all you know he he ran the home and my mom ran the home with everybody's opinion is valid, so everybody has an opportunity and has an equal right to the judge if you will and to being heard, but not right when dad got home we had to wait and and often he would say similar things at the dining room table and go we are not settling things at the dining room table either, so. I, I look to my dad as a conflict management example. Um, that everybody has space, everybody has opportunity, but nobody gets to do it until the judge says it's time. And and then he said, "Okay, present your case." And we would all, you know, wrangle for first position. Um, it's a wonder that we didn't all become attorneys. And um, I think that the other person that holds this position of example for me is John Debevoise. Um, I've watched him moderate so many conflict-entrenched conversations as a session moderator um, that it has been so powerful to walk with him and see the merit for how he allows everybody to have time to discern the direction that the church should go. And I have to give, you know, I, I marvel at that. I, I watch the work that's being done and how he lets everybody get, have time to breathe to, um, to respond to a particular question or a particular um, motion that's been brought before the session. Um, what about you, Bill? What do you, who do you look to as an example? Uh, again, thank you for the uh, question. Uh, clearly, uh, talks about a sword that divides and doing justice. Um, I think, for example, I, I've already mentioned that being in college, graduate school in the 60s, awakening to civil rights, um, of course, Many of the rightly honored leaders in that movement were an inspiration to me, Sarah. And in my lifetime, 
was the first time I powerfully saw within this nation, not just us with an outside enemy nation, but within and among ourselves, facing into a powerfully um, important justice issue. And that work, of course, still goes on. On another level, uh, and I, you speaking of living examples, as as a person, as a pastor, I've had a number of opportunities to deal with marginalized persons, and I mean that in the broad sense of that word, maybe economically. My first pastorate in eastern North Carolina, Sybil and I lived in, and I served a chapel in a very low-income community. Three miles away was a large, thousand-member, wealthy Presbyterian Church. Um, and I saw people by world standards who had very little, but Sarah, whose lives thrived, that little is much when God is in it. Um, and then, of course, I've read and in counseling have dealt with people uh, in the 80s as we began to be more aware of and affirming of the need to deal with abuse, and women began to, for the first time in their lives, talk about abuse that they had suffered, uh, particularly sexual abuse, seeing the courage that took. You talk about dividing families. Truth-telling in that arena can really be a, a sword. And so I appreciate the people who weren't trying to be an example, but they were an example of staying the course in the face of opposition, being demeaned, falsely accused, or rejected. And thanks be to God for people of courage, the Rosa Parks of this world. Thank you for the question. John, I'm going to come to you as a wrap-up. Who Who've been living examples for you about management conflict and um, and, and working through the, the Micah 6-8 idea. Thank you for the question. It, it challenges me to begin collecting stories and names. And I, I'm going to speak generally, and I'll, I'll explain why. Is I, I am blessed to get to see these things because of what I do for a living. And uh, I think I'm I'm coming to this lacking because I haven't established the ability to name names and to tell their stories. Part of it is because of what I do for a living, and I can't do that. Not respectful, not necessarily. But at the same time, I need to gather those permissions because the real stories matter the most. So I'm going to speak in general, but I do get to observe it every day. And I, I know when I when there's the ability to observe people engaging in the way you're talking about through Micah uh, is lacking, then something's wrong. You know, I'm not paying attention or something's wrong. We're getting distracted, which I think this passage is about too, which is we're holding on to our fundamentals and the equity we think matters in terms of our history and what we've done. I do that all the time. I can hear myself going, all that work for nothing. It's like, who do I think I am? Uh, but I, I'll just give you some attributes of this. I think this is, uh, you combine it with Micah, 
instead of this being a shocking passage, it just talks about the discipline of being a disciple and listening and being a little more fearless and being more comfortable with with addressing it. If you know, we always always read this and I see conflict. There's also there's a comfort in this. I can see that I can see and I can hear the voices of those that have already been there before. And they feel an obligation. I sense it. They feel an obligation to be patient and kind as well. And, and what I see, and these are often leaders who've been there, done that, right? We're not always ready. Today I'm going to get a conflict I know I'm not ready for, but I might get one I'm ready for. I'll go, I know I've seen this. I need to relax. And what I see in the leaders who are able to get there is, first, they've prepared the way. So you spoke of, and let me, for the listeners, there's 14,000 subscribers. Uh, John Debevois is the senior pastor of Palmasier Presbyterian Church, which means he's the moderator of the session. So put a, you put a faith, I'm going to put, a, you know, Tampa, Florida, this is a human being that I care and love very much myself. Uh, but what I see is they've prepared the way because the board, the family, Community is in a state of readiness for the conflict, right? The relationships are already pre-established, that, that, that there's already a patience and a love and a kindness in terms of how they're doing it. They're ready. And I think in this passage, like, you're not ready because this stuff's still cutting like a knife. How do you get to the other side? And so there's Micah. So these leaders who's gotten everybody in a state of readiness for the tough the challenges of life, which is all over Matthew, uh, they're confessional people. They they confess their failings. They confess that they messed up before. They confess that they didn't see somebody before. So the leader, the CEO, the chair of the board, they're confessional in what they do. They're humble. They're confident in their humility. I know it sounds strange, but they know they can be quiet and patient what they're doing. Uh, there's a kindness in the way they address people because they've already been doing it. They're cultivating community. They're seekers. They're learners. They know they might get it wrong, and they rejoice in breakthrough thinking. They rejoice when they realize the systems they've been supporting and the assumptions they've been making, making are wrong. <laughs> they are happy. They, they, they run out and go, I have it wrong. Now it's a better way. It's a better way. Let's do this together. And they think just they do seek justice and they they seek learning, and and in terms of justice, it's new pathways, new mechanisms, always being current. Just because you thought something to be true 20 years ago, you might want to read up and get current on what's going on. There are new challenges, new issues, and they have a sense of what a healthy community looks like. And the community could be three people, could be a board of directors. It could be 500 people working in a factory or a call center, but they have a sense of what that would look like, what health looks like. And if they don't know it, they're going to go find out. So I just want to hold that up. I Forgive me for not naming names, but I'll take it as a challenge to tell their stories. I, I'm, I'm honoring relationships, but, boy, I see it, especially that confessional role uh, that they play in that. So I, I do see it, and whenever I have a day without it, I'm sad. I don't feel strong, and I depend on them. Uh, and uh, they are almost like they're caretakers, you know. Maybe I'm over-dependent on them. So that's what I see. Uh, and I guess, Sarah, do you have anything else, or do you want me to go ahead and wrap up? I'm just going to offer that you, you presented us with the way the city looks on the hill or the lighthouse. 
that you see the characteristics or you see the situational wisdom that a, a you know a person could bring to bear on a very contentious situation and i think that you're spot on in 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 describing those characteristics um and 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 we you know i don't know about you but i was like yes i want to be like that yes i want to be like that i want to be like that too yeah i love that part i want that too and i think that's the best part of this passage yeah, yeah. So, uh, and thank again for the for the re- being bold and reading the message. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, by the way, you know, if you look at justice, you know, part of the definitions and the history that we're inheriting in terms of justice, we inherit all this. Is I think justice is about what's it like to be with God? What is the ultimate justice? Well, it's being with God, and we get these little glimpses of what it looks like, and we're supposed to pursue it. it ain't easy. It takes a lot of people. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, folks, uh, and for our listeners, Palmasia Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. They're at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Uh, check that out. We always uh, refer you to it because there are other discussions of the lectionary, the gospel lectionary, sometimes differences of opinion. It's fun. It doesn't cut like a knife. It's exciting. You learn. You get to go to the other side, try something new. Outstanding sermons, wonderful music, opportunities to take communion, meditations, prayers. So check that out. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.